Good morning, Calvary Quakertown. It's good to have you with us bright and early this morning. We're in a series that we're calling For Everyone, and we're kind of working our way through the New Testament letter to the Romans. So Paul had never visited that church before, but he's writing a letter to introduce himself and to introduce the message that he's been spreading all around the Mediterranean Sea. Now, we've given you a couple of ways to uh, keep the book together, and so I thought I would review a couple of them right at the beginning. Uh, three different ways. You can kind of pick the one that resonates with you, or if none of them resonate with you, create your own way to keep the book together. Uh, here's one that we've mentioned a number of times. The first eight chapters provide the problem. And what's the problem? We're all in the same boat, and it's leaking. The solution God provides rescue through Jesus. That's chapters three and four. And then five through eight begin to give us the results that we not only experience rescue, we become God's means of rescuing others. That's how the book fits together. Another way to do the same thing is to put it together like this. In Romans one through five, Paul says, here's what God has accomplished for us in the gospel. So God has accomplished for us in the gospel all these wonderful things. And then beginning in chapter six, he says, now here's what God wants to accomplish in us through the gospel. So God accomplished, past tense, for us in the gospel. God accomplishes in us through the gospel, six or eight. Another way to say the same thing would be like this. Romans one through five, tell us how God got rid of the penalty, freed us from the penalty of sin, and then beginning in chapter six, describes how God is freeing us from the power of sin. So in chapters one through five, it's kind of a lot of past and future, but not a lot of present stuff. The problems in the past, we've been freed, so now we experience the future. But then beginning in chapter six, Paul says, yeah, but how should we live now? That's the releasing uh, from the power of sin. So that's how it works. Well, this morning we come to uh, the second half of Romans 6. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, or your phone, your iPad, something like that. And I've titled this message, The Other Side, Living on the Other Side. And here's why I'm calling it that. Beginning in chapter 5, Paul set up a series of before-after pictures. And there's a whole bunch of them. He says, before you were in Adam, but now you're in Jesus. Before you were in sin, now you're in righteousness. Before you were headed to death, but now you're headed to life. Before you were like this, but now you need to live like that. Before, after. And chapter 6 continues that. So keep that in mind as I begin reading in Romans 6, verse 11. In the same way... Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness." For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. 
But thanks be to God that though we used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you were now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now Paul gives us a couple of pictures here and we're just going to kind of walk through them. They're all before and after pictures. You were like this, you're like that. Live on the other side. Live like the after picture, not like the before picture. And even though there's this magnetic pull, this powerful temptation to pull us back to the former side, we need to fight against that and live on the other side, the after side of the pictures. Well, the first picture that I want to mention is not in Romans 6. You're probably thinking, Charles, what are you doing? Yeah, but the picture helped me. A commentator mentioned the picture, and I was kind of struck by it, so I thought I'm going to strike you with it. And maybe it doesn't strike you. You don't have to remember it, but it kind of struck me. It's a change of situation. And let me kind of tell you the story and see if it doesn't strike you the same way. The story I'm thinking of comes from Luke chapter 15, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. Now let me tell you the parable, and then I'll extend it to kind of make Paul's point. A younger son goes to his father one day and he says, Dad, I'm sick and tired of living under your roof, obeying your rules and regulations. You're cramping my style and ruining my life. I want out, but I want my share of the inheritance before I go. Amazingly, the father gives that younger son his share of the inheritance and he takes off. And as you might expect, squanders it. We're told in lots of evil and wickedness, he squanders it on all this wild, riotous living. And before you know it, he's broke. Slopping pigs in a pig pen. Now, for a little Jewish boy, slopping pigs is not the way to make a living. Your mom's pretty upset about that occupation and stuff. He's in a pig pen living his worst nightmare. While he's in a pig pen, he comes to his senses and says, huh, even the slaves back on the farm are living better than I'm living, I'll go back and ask dad to take me back as a servant. So he leaves the pig pen behind and he makes his way toward home. But the story tells us the father runs from home, meets the son in the driveway, welcomes him home, kisses him, and welcomes him back not as a servant or a slave, but as a son. He gives him the family ring, puts sandals on his feet, the family robe, the son is welcomed back. So it was a big lavish party and there's a giant celebration. Now, fast forward a couple of years. This part's not in the Bible. We're making, the commentator made it up, so I'm telling you. Fast forward two years. Younger son's getting kind of bored living at home now. He's been welcomed back. You know, the robe's a little tattered. Sandals don't fit anymore, a little dirty. You need new soles on them. He said, boy, I remember that party. That that, I got an idea. I'll run away again. I'll take off again. I know dad won't give me anything this time. I'll steal it. 
So I'll steal some of dad's stuff, I'll take off, and I'll blow it all again. And then I'll repent and I'll come home, and dad will welcome me home and he'll give me another party. What do you think about that? Now we'd hear that story and we'd say, oh my goodness, that's terrible. That's the, Paul points, that's the point Paul's making. Paul says, after we've been transferred to the other side, what kind of sense does it make to go back to the former side thinking that you'll be well? That's not how it works. We need to live on the side of grace, not on the side of drudgery, not on the side of servitude. See how it works? Live on the other side. Live out in gratitude and thanksgiving the welcome that your father brought you home with at great cost. But the other pieces I want to mention are actually in Romans 6. Last week, Carlos talked about the change in status. And the change of status is all about baptism, right? And baptism is a picture. Baptism is a picture of what you once were, but then you've been dead to that life, buried in the water, raised again to a new life. So baptism pictures death and resurrection. Live the new life. Live out your new status. And Carlos mentioned that uh, N.T. Wright, I think, does a really neat job in taking Romans 6, 7, and 8 and saying we get to live out on a personal scale what the Israelites lived out on the national scale in the book of Exodus. So in chapter 6 of Romans, we're removed from slavery and we go through the baptism into the desert. And if you read Romans 6, that's what's happening. They're through the water. Now they live a new life. They're no longer in slavery. But they're not in the promised land yet. They wander around in the desert, and they're always struggling. And there's this pull and temptation to go back to Egypt. That's what Romans 7 is, right? I really want to go back. I want to do this, but I can't do it. What I don't want to do, that's what I do. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Romans 8 is arriving in the promised land. So what's the point? Live out your new status. Live out the other side. Don't live in the former side, being a slave. Live in the freedom of what it means to follow God. So it's a change in status. But then we come to the passage that I read this morning. And that's all about a change in masters. Did you notice that? You think, well, wait a minute. I want to live without a master. I want to be my own master. Um, that's not an option, right? And if truth be told, you know that that's not an option. We will serve someone or something. You can't live without serving or wanting something. In fact, here's how, I am, here's how Paul says it. By no means, look at a second paragraph there. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone as a slave, they're your man, and you're probably sitting there thinking, offer yourself. That's not how slavery works. Well, that's because we're not thinking in the biblical context. When we think of slavery, we think of American slavery. And American slavery was very different than ancient slavery. In American slavery, African Americans, well, Africans at that point, were kidnapped wrenched from their families, transported to America, and sold as property here. And that's a blight and a tragedy in our history, but that's how it worked. That's not how slavery worked in the Old Testament. That's not how it worked in the New Testament. The vast majority of slaves in the Bible volunteered 
or signed up for the slavery. They offered themselves as slaves. And he said, well, what moron would do that? Okay, here's how it worked. There was no bankruptcy, no chapter 7, 11, no chapters, no bankruptcy. There was no Social Security. There was no workman's compensation. There was no social safety net at all. So if through, through illness, through tragedy, or through some really stupid business decisions, you have no resource, you lost all of your property and all of your capital, you were going to die a miserable death, or you were going to become you know, a beggar hoping that other people would give you stuff to eat. Or in that world, you could volunteer to be someone's servant. Now, you may think, well, who would want to do that? Yeah, but think of what the benefits would be. Look, it wasn't great, but you're, you're in a mess, right? You would go to someone and say, hey, I'll be your slave, and for your service, you get shelter, you get food, you get safety. You go to someone, you volunteer your services because you're financially destitute, and for your service, they, there's a payoff. Now, it's not that great, but there's a payoff. And so Paul's thinking of that, and he says, so here we are, here's the analogy, here we are, we know that something's broken, just like in, in the song that we opened with, right, just like in Shallow. We know there's this void. We know there's something inside that's empty. But what do we do? We go to different things, we go to different people, and offer our allegiance, offer our service for the benefits that that thing or those people will give. We, in a sense, sign up for slavery because of the benefits that that, 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 that that master will give. That's how the process works. But it doesn't take long until you know you're stuck, right? And once you're stuck, you can no longer offer yourself to anyone else or anything else because you're stuck and trapped and can't get out. I read an article this past week that said this. If you want to know what an addict feels like, you know, sometimes we look down our snooty noses at people with addictions of one kind or another. The article said, if you want to know what an addict feels like, just go on a diet. That's right. In your mind, you're doing it, right? But the cookies are calling from the closet, right? You know, the, the menu item is, you know you can't eat that on the diet, but heck with the diet, right? Yeah, that's kind of what Paul's saying on a small scale. But now think of it on a grand scale. You offer yourself to something or to someone, and there's a benefit that comes. There's a sense of strength. There's a sense of reputation. Your ego's getting stroked. There are benefits, but before you know it, you're trapped and you can't get out. Now, here's the dilemma that I know you've experienced if you're following Jesus. You make the transition, right? You give up that slavery, you trust Jesus, and now you move to the other side. Yeah, but the powerful pull wants to pull you back, doesn't it? How often when you read through the book of Exodus do you find the Israelites saying things like this? I think we should go back to Egypt. We're back in Egypt. We had food to eat. We could sit around the fire and enjoy ourselves and tell stories. They were slaves. But they had food. They had stuff. To, 
Their masters were providing something for them, and they were longing for those benefits because on the other side, they're not experiencing the same benefits. If you want to know what those habitual patterns feel like, live on the other side. Um, I have a small group that meets Friday mornings, and uh, we were talking about some of these themes, and the one guy said, it's just like Shawshank Redemption. That movie's on 24-7, I'm convinced, right? Somewhere right now in America, Shawshank Redemption is playing. Where's how it works? Andy is in prison, and he hooks up with Red, and there's another guy named Brooks, remember? But, and they're so used to living in prison that even when the bars slide open and first Brooks get released, he's paroled, right? And he goes to work, but he can't really function on the outside because all he knows is life inside the prison Brooks hangs himself because he doesn't know how to do life on the other side. All he knows is living like a slave on the former side. And then eventually Red gets out, right? And Red begins to bag groceries at the grocery store. But he raises his hand and asks if he can go to the manager. Can I go to the bathroom, boss? Can I do it? He, right? The traces of the old life are hard to get rid of. He's living the prison life even though he's been freed. Paul would say, that's our story. We need to regularly consider and reflect how we live on the other side because the patterns and the history and the roots are so deep. If we do nothing, we will just repeat the old patterns of slavery in the past. We've got to work against it. Isn't that real? I mean, that's our story. So Paul's saying, you've been freed from the penalty of sin, and God's in the process of freeing you from the power of sin. But make no mistake, the pull to the former life is powerful, and we need to work against it if we're going to live on the other side. Well, how does that process work then? How do we put those pieces together? Well, let me uh, kind of explain the practice le like this. In verse 11, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Now, we've met that count word before. That's that bookkeeping term. That's the count, reckon, consider, reflect, meditate, keep your mind focused on it. What are we to do? We're to remember and consider and count ourselves on the other side and there's always going to be the pull backward but we need to count ourselves on this side do the math that's kind of the point so if you think back on the images here are the images that paul would say remember count yourselves consider that you are no longer carabinered to adam but you're carabinered to jesus live life following him you're no longer living the old life, the life leading to death and experiencing brokenness. So don't live that. You are now connected to Jesus. Live life connected to him. And you're no longer to live with sin as your old master. Live with Jesus as your new master as you do that. Now, how does that work? Well, part of what we have to consider and reckon is that we not only have a change in situation, which the prodigal son helps us with, and a change in status that baptism helps us with, and a change in masters that 
the servanthood picture helps us think through. We have a change in identity. We are now in Christ. That's the picture. We're in Christ. We've been united to Christ. Paul says that in verse 5. We have been united with him in death like his, if we certainly also have been united with him in resurrection life. Now, here's how that works. Some of you know the story where Paul transitioned to the other side. That's recorded for us in Acts chapter 9. And it's kind of a weird story, but I submit that Paul's whole theology can be traced back to that encounter with Jesus in Acts 9. So here's what's happening. Paul is rounding up Christians. He's on a search and destroy mission for Christians. He's searching out Christians. He's rounding them up, taking them back to Jerusalem to experience trial, imprisonment, or execution for following Jesus. That, that's his job. He's doing it. On his way to Damascus, he kind of rounded up a lot of people close to Jerusalem. Now he's going all the way to Damascus to round up some others. And all of a sudden, a bright light from the sky and a loud voice knocks Paul to his knees. And it's Jesus. And Paul's, or Jesus says this. Saul, that was his old name, right? His name on the former side. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul doesn't say this, but I'm guessing he's thinking, well, I would never persecute you. Because just by speaking and showing up, you kind of knock me to my knees. And I would never persecute you. I'm not that stupid. But he thought about it. And he says, well, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You know, that little conversation becomes the engine of Paul's entire theology. When you read through Paul's letters, here we are in Romans 6, right? Living life on the other side. What makes the difference being united to Jesus? Where did he learn that? Acts chapter 9. It works like this. Paul began to reflect. He's doing what he called us to do. Consider, reckon, remember, wrestle through, calculate. If I'm persecuting Christians and I'm beating on them, but Jesus says I'm persecuting and beating on him, that must mean Jesus so identifies with his followers that to beat on them means I'm beating on him, and to beat on him means you're beating on them. Jesus is radically identified with his followers. I think Jesus said, you get it, you get it. What's, this, what's the engine of his theology then? If we are united with Jesus, then we died to sin when he died. And we were raised to righteousness when he was raised. That's the center. The center is being united to Jesus forever and ever. And that changes everything. That's what moves us from the Adam side to the Jesus side. That's what moves us from the sin side to the righteousness side. United to Jesus moves us from the death side to the life side. It removes us from the slave to sin to the slave of God's side. Everything changes when we're united to Jesus. That's the picture. That's the engine. That is what we need to remember and reckon and count. The pull to the former life is powerful, isn't it? I mean, we've lived under that system for so long, it feels like you can't say no. You've got to remember. You've got to reckon. You've got to count. You have to calculate. You can. You can live out life on the other side. 
the after side because of the spirit that works in you. And we're moving to that piece in Romans chapter 8. Well, we got one more uh, piece that I want to do. So we practice by reckoning and counting and calculating. But we also practice by thinking about the last verse of the chapter. So I'm, uh, here's, here's verse 23 of chapter 6. Many of you have memorized this, right? Here we go. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, and I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but let me ask. How many of you at one time or another have memorized that verse? Yeah, a whole bunch of you, right? Um, here's what I would say. If you ever learned um, a way of sharing your faith, sharing Christianity with someone, I'd be willing to bet that that was one of the key verses, right? Because that's a summary statement. So as long as we're counting and calculating and reflecting, now let's play with that metaphor. Suppose you've got a whole bunch of numbers in a ledger here, right? You've got debits, you've got credits, you've got all money coming in, you've got money going out. So eventually you're working your way through. So you're adding, you're subtracting, you're adding, you're subtracting. And right when you do the last number, what do you do on the piece of paper? Before you hit the sum button, before you hit equals, what do you do on your paper? You draw a line, right? Now here's the interesting thing. You're going to write something after you drew the line. So you got all these numbers up top, debits, credits, money coming in, money going out, money going over here, right? Lots of tax money going out, all that stuff coming down. You draw the line. Then you're going to write another number. But the number you're going to write has not appeared in any of the numbers before that. It's going to be a new number. But the number you're going to write is a result. You're going to write the sum. You're going to say, when all is said and done, here's the story. Here's the result. Here's the summary. You draw the line, and there it is. That's kind of what Paul does in chapter 6. He's been giving us all these pictures. Right? You're no longer in Adam. You're in Jesus. You're no longer in sin. You're in righteousness. You no longer have master. As sin as your master, you've got Jesus as your master. You no longer dead. You're alive. You are no longer formerly baptized. You've been baptized. You're a follower. All this stuff. And he draws the line. And I kind of think he says, let me give this one more shot. One more shot. Because I can tell you're thick-headed. One more shot. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 20 words. Only three of them have more than one syllable. But they come after the line. What are wages? Well, wages are what you've earned. Wages are what you deserve to get. And in fact, in our litigious attorney-oriented society, if you put your time in and you don't get the wages you deserve, you hire a lawyer and your lawyer will take most of your wages and give you a little bit at the end, right? That's how wages are things you deserve, right? So notice what Paul says. He draws the line. So, okay, so here's the bottom line. You've earned some stuff in life. I know you like to say, I don't want any free gifts. I earn it, right? You've earned some stuff. You have wages coming to you. You deserve them. And you'll get them. What you've earned and deserve is death. Huh. They weren't the wages I was thinking of. 
you draw the line. Not just death, your body dies, but death as being separated from God like forever and ever. That's what we've earned. That, that, that's ours because we deserve it. Oh, yeah, but let's keep reading. But the gift of... Now, what's a gift? A gift is something you don't deserve and you didn't earn. If you didn't earn it, it's a gift. If you've earned it, if you work for it, it's not a gift. A gift is given to you freely. Some of you are uh, doing Christmas shopping, and here's the struggle you have. Well, I really want to get them this, but they don't deserve it. If they deserved it, it's not a gift, right? Buy them something they don't deserve. When you're shopping for me, buy me something I don't deserve. <laughs> Gifts are what you don't. So notice what Paul's saying. We've all worked hard at this deal. We've lived the former side over and over, day after day, over and over, and we've earned some stuff. We've earned physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. We've earned death, death, death all over the place, right? But God offers a gift, and the gift is eternal life, spiritual life now, physical life forever, eternal life that never ends. But that comes as a gift. See how it works? So I kind of like when Paul drew the line because he's talked about a whole lot of complicated stuff. He's talked about the problem and the solution and the results. And he's talked about the penalty that we deserve and now the power of sin being removed. And he talked about all that the gospel accomplished for us and what the gospel accomplishes in us. But before he moves on, he says, let me draw a line here and give you one more shot. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't know about you. I'm kind of glad Paul took the time at the end of the chapter to draw the line and say, uh, just in case I lost you along the way, six pretty dense chapters, just in case you didn't hang with me all the way through. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've earned wages, you receive a gift. And I kind of think that there were some people that maybe attended the Roman church that we're listening to Paul's letter, and maybe they've never transacted the deal to kind of move to the other side. And maybe when Paul drew the line and summarized it all, maybe they actually did that. And maybe some of you this morning are listening, and you've been here for a while, or maybe it's your first time you've ever been here, and you're thinking, I, I'm probably living on that former side. Well, if Paul were to say, yeah, but wages are what you've earned. A gift is something you receive. In order to receive a gift, you admit that you have the need, and you just reach forth your hands and take Jesus as the gift by faith. It's a grace deal. That's how it works. I'm going to ask you to stand, because the band's going to come back out and we're going to sing. But while you're standing, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to count and reckon Consider. Maybe you uh, know you're, you're on the other side and you've been living life on the other side for years and years and you struggle the way Paul does because the pull backwards pretty strong, right? And I would say to you all, yeah, reckon, count, consider, live life on the other side. 
And there are probably some others of you that are still living on that former side. Well, you don't tell me. I can't do anything about your situation, but you can tell God. You can admit that your wages are surely deserved. And you can admit that you believe that Jesus is the only way to get to the other side. And you can ask him to be your savior and you can carabiner your life to his and life will be given as a gift as Jesus becomes that gift to you. If you do that this morning or do that, we'd love to kind of know that. You could stop up front and tell somebody. We're going to sing songs that rivet those themes into our heads and then we're going to celebrate communion as one more picture to the list that Paul's been giving in these chapters. Let me pray as the band comes back. Father, we recognize that uh, human beings can't make up this story. This story is beyond human ability to understand and to create. And yet, Lord, you tell us in your word that we've all been doing a lot of work and that work has brought some wages, and those wages are completely deserved. But Lord, the amazing thing is that the sentence doesn't stop there. There's a but. And in the midst of the wages that we deserve, you step in, put a but, and say, I'm offering you a gift. And the gift is for a righteousness resume. The gift is for Jesus to identify with us and us with him. The gift is life. The gift is a new place. The gift is to live life on the other side, not just today, but forever and ever. Lord, thanks for that privilege. Help us to live that life on the other side well. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.